Welcome to Films in the Wilderness Season 2. Films in the Wilderness is a limited podcast series that takes place during the liturgical seasons of Lent and Advent. Season 1 took place during Lent 2021, and now here we are in Advent 2021, and we will be looking at four films throughout the course of this series. I am Carl Stevens. Great. And along with Carl, you have uh, myself, Jed Deering. I am the priest in residence at St. Francis Episcopal Church in Springboro, Ohio. <laughs> we are joining us today, singer-songwriter Kim Taylor. Kim had been part of the founding and the curation of music with the noon service at Christ Church Cathedral in Cincinnati. And she now comes to us from California. We're excited to have Kim joining us to talk Wild Rose today. So, Kim, welcome. It's really great to have you with us. Thank you. I'm very uh, excited to be here, and it's bright and early here in Berkeley, California. <laughs> great. Kim, is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about yourself or you think would be good for us to know going into this conversation about Wild Rose today? Uh, sure. Yeah, I've been... So, um, I've been... It's a singer-songwriter. I really started when I was about 18, uh, but I I grew up doing music. Um, I've been a musician for a long time. I play several different instruments. I I was a, a band nerd when I was a kid. I played flute and marching band. And um, and I'm actually born, I was born and raised in Florida. I found my way to Cincinnati in my early 20s. Um, and I found my way to the Episcopal Church about 10 years ago. Um, and I've actually done some film work as well, so it was really interesting watching this film. Um, I've been on the other side of of filmmaking and being in that whole process of being in working in a film. And I actually did a film that was very um, that was loosely based on uh, a musician and her marriage falling apart and stuff. So it was really interesting to watch this film again and see. Um, it brought me back some memories about being in in those projects, but. Um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to talking about this film. So, Great, thanks. Well, what a, a connection. I didn't even know a talent I didn't even know you had. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the film we are talking about today is, is Tom Harper's 2018 film, Wild Rose. Wild Rose stars Jessie Buckley in kind of her uh, star-making performance. Uh, she plays Rose Lynn Harlan. I've uh, got a, cl- a classic country name here for our, for our lead character who is in Glasgow. Scotland, and she has just been released from prison and is coming home to her mother and her two kids. And she is dreaming of making it big one day in Nashville, has an especially has an especial affinity for American country music uh, and loves to sing and is great at covers and hasn't necessarily yet found her own voice uh, or the, the songs that she has to offer. And so we get to follow in her journey. Um, as she's wrestling with what it means to be uh, a daughter, a mother, and to pursue the dreams and desires that really do like consume her, uh, light a fire in her, and also tend to consume others along the way. Uh, and so watching that, the wrestling uh, throughout this movie is a really wonderful thing. And so um, the movie as well, it almost a musical. I don't think we'd quite call it that, but certainly like um, in a more non-traditional way. The songs really tell the story, many being drawn from country greats like Emmy Lou Harris, Wynonna Judd, and Patsy Cline gets a lot of name dropping in this movie and the songs that are sung, as well as the fact that numerous songs were uh, written for 
um, were written specifically for this project. Uh, so a number of great original pieces as well, especially the final crowd-pleasing tune. So music plays a big role uh, in the telling of the story and kind of the revealing to us about more of who Rose's character is and the journey that she's on. And uh, speaking of journeys, we get to a gospel passage today all about, uh, all about journey. Carl? Sure do. So the gospel that we have paired with this film is Luke 3, 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas, Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, aside from the fact that this, uh, this passage is being drawn from the prophet Isaiah could absolutely in and of itself be a country song. It probably is a country song. Someone's probably written something. <laughs> I'd better go look it up. It's like, oh, there's someone's done a cover. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, but aside from that, I'm wondering for, uh, with, for the both of you, if there are any connections that had jumped out from the outset and between the text for this week, the second week of Advent, uh, as well as the movie. Well, I think what's a, what makes this an interesting pairing as a text is that um, throughout the, the film, uh, Rose is definitely trying to find a way through her own wilderness and what is hampering her is really herself, but also certain ideas about fame and happiness. Um, and the passage from Luke starts with these grand ideas, right? Like there, there's a great Gardner Taylor sermon where he reads out that passage very slowly and he comes to um, a stop right before uh john's voice cries out in the wilderness and gardner taylor says and you would think that you had heard everything about power that there was to hear right because it starts with these emperors and kings and other people so i think part of the film is um rose trying to figure out how to be authentic to herself when she is wrestling with the scope of ambition and of her own hope and her own mistakes, um, but also wrestling with pretty big ideas of what it means to be a successful human being, which she has tied entirely to a successful music career rather than to her children. Yeah, I, well, let me just say up front, I don't usually watch films like this <laughs> because um, they cut a little too close uh, to the bone. So I, I, I've not seen, I, I've seen the original Star is Born, but I haven't seen the new one. Um, I, I will watch like, you know, YouTube little bits here and there, but, but I just can't, you know, um, so I remember last night when I finished watching this film, I was just, there was a little piece of me that was like, Jed, <laughs> 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 what have you asked me to do? 
Um, but I, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, to, to echo everything that you're saying, Carl, and I mean, before I watched the film, I read the passage and then I, a couple of times I actually stopped during the film and read the passage again, particularly the section of the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And there were a couple of things that, that I just, that struck me right away in connection with the film. One is, uh, yeah, she she is this character who is crying out throughout the whole film. She doesn't always know what she's crying out for. Um, and I think the film sort of helps her, her, her journey sort of helps her try to figure out what she's actually crying out for, which is so relatable. Um, and then the other part was the idea of her working, the, this, the final part of the verse, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God, um, I think part of the journey that she has through this film is trying to sort of find a salvation of God, what that means for her as both as someone reconciling and accepting. Um, I, I don't want to call them mistakes. Her children are not mistakes, but these things that have happened that she has to take responsibility for and she actually cares about, but she's scared of. Um, but also this dream she has you know, which I so relate to, like, I can't even now, I mean, I'm almost 48 and I can't stop this sort of desire, this passion I have to pursue songs. It's just there and I have to follow it. And it's taking me, it's taken me through a lot of different, um, um, down a lot of different roads through a lot of different experiences. And it's taken my family through that, my partner, Dan, and my son, you know, who's 20, almost 23 now. Um, so I also really connected with that struggle and that tension she had between um, wanting to pursue her dream, but also feeling the full weight of these responsibilities. And even more so with her, because she had no partner other than her mom. Her mom was a partner. I actually had my mom too. My mom... My mom actually lived with Dan and I for many years to help when, especially when I was touring. And so, boy, that one really struck home. Like there's that, there's a really pivotal scene where, um, not to spoil the movie, there's a really pivotal scene with the mom and the daughter. And, um, and you can just feel the weight of how much the mom has been, but like, like is trying to help the daughter, like be responsible, but she also like realizes that her daughter has this dream and she needs to pursue it you know and my mom my mom and my dad too but my mom was really physically sort of there and helping me um you know figure that out when I was on the road for two weeks by myself touring you know whatever like you know having to leave the family behind so also there were a bunch of scenes boy that I had to I had to stop and have a moment I have had many experiences many memories of leaving home when my son was young with him crying as I pulled out of the driveway and my husband, my partner, Dan being like, just go, just go, just, just go, just, just do it. And Griffin just like crying and me getting on the road and just sobbing my eyes out, just feeling like I was the worst mother on the planet. And then Dan calling me five minutes later being like, he's fine. Just go. He's fine. He's totally forgotten. He's like playing Legos now, you know? Um, but that was a gift. And she had to sort of live in that tension so there are moments where she's having to leave her kids and that really struck me too like some of the realities of of doing that so yeah I was thinking I was thinking a little bit about on that front the way that there were folks in her life that were really seeking to like 
clear the road for her and make yeah. the way. And like, what a gift it is. Like when we have these like dreams or desires with those people who take the time to like try to clear things out as much as they can for us, which, you know, is, is always limited, yes. but um, the right. gift, the gift that that is my, uh, my mom happens to be in town this week helping out. She'd come in town because uh, my wife was out of town for work. And so to help out with the boys and, so that I could go to church, so that I could all the things go to convention, which is not quite as not quite <laughs> as great as uh, perhaps going going on the road for shows. But um, I picked her up from the airport in Cincinnati, and I was driving back up I seventy five North, uh, you know, coming from Florence into Cincinnati. And there's that spot in the highway where you come over the mountain and around the hill and all of a sudden like Cincinnati breaks forth before you. And you've got the great view down to the Ohio river and the skyline and living in Ohio a state that's mostly flat. Uh, it's one of those rare moments where all of a sudden you hit a summit. <laughs> and, um, and I was, I was wrestling a little bit with like what it means that uh, it's not always, a, I don't always want all the paths made straight. <laughs> And I think sometimes the uh, the stories that I have to share, the impact that I have on others tends to come from the work that I've done climbing. <laughs> uh, and, and then the joy that comes with getting to that summit sometimes and getting a view and being able to look back and to see all those who helped you on the journey and um, getting to kind of like take in what's before you and the beauty of it from up above a little bit and not always being down in it. And um, one of the things I felt like this movie was doing a good job of was like showing how, you know, her own journey was forming her songs that were going to come down the line. <laughs> and uh, it was going to take, you know, fighting through many of these things. It was going to take coming to that peace inside herself which Carl, you were mentioning a little bit in your comments. I think it's the Winona Judd song that she sings at some point, uh, Peace in This House, uh, that has a line in it that, um, oh, everything that good, everything good that happens begins on the inside. Uh, mm -hmm. Which, you know, that song comes about midway through the movie and it's still not realized for her yet. <laughs> but she's yeah. singing it and there's some truth being told. Uh, even as she hasn't yet like come to a, a place of understanding, I think who she is. But. Yeah, I actually felt there was a little bit of <clears throat> the her journey in that film. I actually felt it was a little reversed for me because I started off as a songwriter. I didn't have this desire to pursue Nashville. I didn't. I, that was never. And and I know people that. Um, I did, I've done a lot of work in Nashville and have done a bunch of co-writing sessions down there. And I would meet with people that had, were just like her that had moved to Nashville and like their whole dream was Nashville. And I just, that was never, I don't even know, that wasn't even something I used to think about. I, I literally started writing songs um, in my teens as a way, like as, as a salvation. Mm -hmm. It was the thing that saved me time and time again from so much, so much chaos in my life. And so coming to a place where I started performing them and I was, I was always a little bit of a performer, but coming to a place where this was something I wanted to pursue and perform was actually secondary 
to being someone who was trying to sort of exercise all these like demons, you know, or like, or just write about my life. Like I just wanted to write about my life. And so, um, so I was thinking about that when I was sort of watching that journey and, and, but I think it's very true. There's a moment in the film with Bob Harris, um, where he says to her, you know, he's asking her if, I think he's asking her if you don't asking her if you, uh, if she plays instruments or whatever, yeah, so you know. For listeners, if you haven't seen the film, yeah, Bob Harris, uh, radio DJ for, for BBC. Uh, yeah, and, and the thing that's really important about Bob Harris, too, is that in, in, in the UK especially, like, I mean, I don't know how it is now, but, I mean, Bob Harris really was, like, the voice of folk and country music. Like, he was the one that was, that was exposing people to folk and country music in that country. And so he's, he was a real, like, lifeline for a lot of people. And so he became, he, became, he, became, he became this icon. If you could get Bob Harris to listen to what you were doing, then you would have a chance. And so she has this interview with him. But anyway, he says this thing to her, like, you know, you have a, an amazing voice, but, you know, do you have something to say? And she sort of stops in her tracks. And there were many moments prior to that where she's hanging out with her kids and she's kind of looking at her kids. And you can tell she's resisting having to look at her daily life, her daily grind. And, um, and I remember thinking it was just the opposite for me. Like I was constantly, you know, writing about my daily life and my daily grind. That was how I got through my daily life and daily grind was writing about it. Like that's where I sort of went into my fantasy world and would sort of have this magic happen in my head. And, you know, um, but I, I really appreciated because I do think I, I, I know people that too, that struggle with trying to be honest about their life and what am I going to write about? And I know that's a real hurdle sometimes. So, Yeah, that scene, or sorry, you go ahead, Carl. Okay. Well, I was going to say, so she has three chords in the truth tattooed on her Mm -hmm. arm, uh, which I kind of, I kind of love. Um, But what's so interesting about that statement, that three chords is relatively simple the truth is incredibly complicated, right? And I think part of the arc of the movie is her coming to understand the complexity of truth um, in her life, like her own truth. Mm-hmm. That three chords in the truth is absolutely true, too. Yeah. You only need three chords. Sometimes you don't even need three chords. <laughs> one, of the, one of the connections for me in the film as well uh, that you're hitting on a little bit here, Kim, was... The idea of um, in that text, you know, John being sent as a messenger in the wilderness, and of course, like in this, we have the the translation and the interpretation of this passage from Isaiah being, you know, there's the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, and that's John the Baptist. And if we go back to the text in Isaiah, it's actually, you know, a voice of one crying out, hard stop, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make the path straight. <laughs> Um, and it works either way, obviously, but there's slight little differences that we have happening there. And she's in her wilderness, um, but also there are these voices in the wilderness that meet her. And I think about Bob Harris meeting her, right, with those words. And I think about even in the ways, in her own ways, that her mother, Susanna, you know, others kind of serve as these voices for her along the way. But that there is sometimes almost an impossibility of hearing those voices when we remain in our own context or when we're in our, in our home space. And that it's not until we 
venture out that we can actually hear those voices anew or the thing that they were trying to say to us the whole time. <laughs> it's almost like I feel like uh, leaving when leaving home finally and going to a new place, like those voices from our home become our traveling companions um, yeah. with their with their meanings, like their those aphorisms that were like worn out all of a sudden becoming like a fresh wisdom for us. And it felt like there was there was something important in her journey and in her going that opened something up for her that allowed her to hear some of the voices that have been speaking to her over time. Um, I was really struck that when she gets her moment to steal away from the tour and to sing there at the Grand Ole Opry and she only has a cover to sing still. Now the cover is great and you know, it, um, you know, it speaks to speaks to great things. Uh, what is the line I wrote down here? When I reach the place, I'll know my way. You know, like she's uncovering she's uncovering wisdom from all these old songs that she's known and carried with her, but she still hasn't found her voice yet. And and something transformative happened by like leaving and going, and and an, an ability to hear others and herself and in her own way. You know what I loved about that scene too is. Um, is after when she goes and sits on the steps and the security guard, I love that the security come in. It's very, yeah. Um, and she's sitting on the steps and the security cards like saying how that happens all the time. And then she says something to him and, she, and, and it's the first time in the film, she has this very deep, profound, like Scottish accent. Right. But it's not until you can understand everything she's saying throughout the film. But in, I, think, I thought it was really a genius moment for the directors and the writer. In that moment, she says something in very like um, in a Scottish accent that's very thick, and he cannot understand what she's saying. And he says, "I have no idea what you just said." And it was another sort of moment where you're supposed to realize, and she's realizing, "This is not; these aren't my people. This isn't my. This isn't my home." You know. Um, you know, and for some people, it is their home. And, and I think she, when she arrives in Nashville, she, you know, which I have another great scene I loved, which is just, it's so true, is when she gets out of the cab and the trunk opens and the guy's CDs are there. Everybody in Nashville is trying to, you know, make it as a songwriter, musician. And she realizes that she's not, um, you know, special in that way, which I think is also a really important part of the, her journey is like, um, you know, there's this whole thread happening the whole time where she's like, nobody does country music in Glasgow, you know, she doesn't want to be the only one doing it. And then by the end, she sort of realizes, oh, I'm, 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 I'm special. I have people are listening to me in Glasgow because nobody's doing it, which is kind of a really special place to be. Um, and sort of embracing that, um, versus feeling like she needs to go somewhere else to do the thing, which I think is, I think that's been that's something that's been helpful to me is um, just that idea of, of, of wherever I'm at, just finding, finding myself and doing what I'm doing wherever I'm at um, and not feeling like I have to go to Nashville or LA or New York city to, to find it. I mean, it's why I've, I never relocated out of Cincinnati. I stayed in Cincinnati and I had a lot of pressure to move to Nashville or LA, especially I did a lot of work in New York city, but I always stayed in Cincinnati because there was just, my heart was just like, you stay in Cincinnati. There was connections and roots I had and um, 
family and and I could drive. I could just drive to all the places I need to be. But so I also connected with that and her story. So yeah, it's interesting that she finds Glasgow to be such a prison at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And I, part of it, I think one of the reasons why her life is fairly tragic at the beginning is she's 23 and just gone out of jail and her children are like eight. Not, I mean, she had those children when she's like 15 years old, right? Yeah. So, um, or started to when she was 15 years old. So, and we see her throughout the movie making choices that really run counter to her dream. You know, when she's going to London to meet with the DJ, what's his name again? Bob. Yeah, Bob when she's going to meet with him, I mean, she gets drunk on the train with a bunch of other people, right? And then she loses her bag. You know, like she's, like at every step of the way, she's kind of um, right within the grasp of her dream and yet undercutting herself and destroying that dream. And I, you know, when watching it, I thought maybe she doesn't think she deserves this. Or maybe finding your songwriting voice is a way of claiming that you deserve it. Um but that voice can only come out of experience. It can't come out of uh, an idea of country music, right? It has to come out of your lived yeah. life. I actually read a few reviews this morning from the film, and there was a thread in several of them that I I knew was there, but I guess I just didn't I, I didn't think through it. But this idea that um, so she's working class the whole time. There is another tension throughout the film between her and sort of wealthier classes um, and, and that, and you feel that too. Um, you feel that on that train scene where she's been put in first class and she feels so out of place. And, and then you, you, she finds herself, you know, drinking beers um, with like the working class people, uh, you know? Um, and there is this sort of like, she's in a position where she has to work and pursue her dreams, which is, I mean, is ubiquitous. I mean, and she you, she experiences that in Nashville. She's seeing all of these people trying to be stars, and they're having to work. And um, and it's not just this like magical thing that just happens, you know. And I relate. I totally relate to that too. I mean, for ten years, um, I my husband and I owned a coffee shop, and I would work the coffee shop and tour, work the coffee shop and tour, work the coffee shop and tour. You know, so yeah, that working class thing too was in there. Yeah, and the ways that, and similarly, Carl, to how you talked about her own, like, pieces of self-sabotage, um, and then just also the, all those challenges that come up when you don't have the additional safety nets that come with wealth or a bigger community, which, um, and, you know, just what happened when, you know, a kid would break their arm or become sick or you're out of prison and so you've got a tracking bracelet on, you have to be back by a certain time, yeah. all of the all of those challenges that were there that um, just hampered that possibility of getting to the dream too. And I thought the movie did a really good job of showing like both, um, you know, the self-imposed penalties <laughs> uh, and then also those penalties like that were imposed by her situation that just making it, you know, making it all the harder as well. Well, there's such an interesting character. I mean, so her mother is is one of the matriarchs of the story, um, but the other matriarch is Susanna, this high um, social economic status woman um, who Rose goes to start cleaning for. 
And Rose will not tell Susanna that she has children. Like, she's trying to keep that part of herself back, where she's trying to live within a fantasy um, where her her world can be something other than it is. And then you have her kind of furious mother, who is so angry at her for living in that fantasy and not taking care of the reality of her children. And yet, they both try to treat her with grace, and it is so surprising really that it's her mother's grace which matters in a way (laughs) like Susanna you know wants to do this concert for her so that she can head off to Nashville not realizing that she really can't head off because she has two children to raise um and it fails and then when Rose has just kind of committed herself to a life of drudgery it's her mother who um sees that really sees her and maybe for the first time understands uh, the the battle she's having within herself between the dream and the reality and chooses the dream for her daughter, which is really surprising. What did, what did you all make of that? I, um, I was surprised, but I also, I mean, I could tell when they were showing images of the mom looking, you know, it was clear that that the daughter um, had lost her, her reason for existing. And I absolutely relate to that. Like, I can't imagine, um, I love my son so much and I am so grateful that I had the parenting experience and that I got to parent him. Um, there is also something inside of me that, like, I was, I had to do what I, the, the life that I pursued and still pursue, but particularly in my 20s and 30s, I had to do that. And I was just compelled. It was just something in me that had to do all of this. And, you know, and I loved parenting my son, but there was this piece of me. And so I I really, I can't can't imagine if I had not been able to pursue that, if I had just had to go, I need to kill that dream in all shapes and forms and just live for my children. I mean, I don't think that's healthy in any way, shape, or form either. And that was the thing I used to say to myself, too, when I would get in the car and drive, you know, 12 hours to New York City or Kansas or wherever I was going to be on tour at, knowing I had just left him. And the last image I had was leaving him. I would just, I would realize that ultimately I felt like I was doing this for him, too, because I was modeling to him someone who was pursuing path. And I also knew I was a good mom. <laughs> I knew I was coming home and spending time with him. And, and But I was modeling to him the kind of person that um, that I wanted him to be as well, which is to, you know, you get one life and I just want him to pursue his passions to the best of his ability. It doesn't mean it's going to work out exactly the way he wants, but um, I believed in that idea very much. Um, and so, so when the mom makes that move, I was like, go mom. Like she got it. You know, she knew what her daughter, she knew, she knew that her daughter needed to do both. So, but in a healthy way as well. Well, and until that moment, most people have treated Rose like a threat in some way. So Susanna hasn't, but Susanna doesn't know the whole truth, but Susanna's husband does. And there's that kind of devastating scene where like they're he's driving rose home and he pulls over and 
he basically says, I, I know that you are a criminal. I know that you are a threat to the happiness of my wife, and I won't let that happen. I won't let you endanger her happiness. Now, ultimately, he's wrong, of course, and, and at the very end of the movie, and this is, we should have said it at the beginning, but this is an entirely spoiled uh, film podcast. <laughs> but, um, but at the very end, you know, those Susanna and her two children are there at the concert that Rose performs in. Um, and it's that, too, is deeply hopeful to say the people who are on your side are on your side. You don't have to pretend with them. You don't have to play games or um, live in a kind of realm of shame where you won't admit who you are or what you want from life. If you're honest about things, yeah. if you have those three chords and the truth, then much better things will happen than if you're obfuscating, obscuring the facts of your life. I think for me, um, you know, one other moment that happens, so she, Rose goes to Nashville, you know, ultimately decides uh, that the place where she's going to pursue the stream is back home. When she comes home and comes in the door, uh, she has a moment where she looks at her daughter and says, look at you. And it's mm-hmm. almost as if like she's seeing her for the first time. Um, and it's an incred- incredibly moving moment where uh, that, again, I think came about because of that gift of going and that gift that her mother gave of to go see, go see the world out there, go see this thing you're seeking to pursue. Um, but for her to come back home and to have a chance to, uh, yeah, I think see her kids, see her kids again anew and to be able to make a choice that's for all of them. Um, was uh, was really quite lovely. And just this idea that she came to that, you know, home wasn't second best. <laughs> home wasn't something that she needed to settle for. Um, mm-hmm. The start of the movie, uh, the first song that she sings, uh, you know, says, son, go back to your mama. She can watch out for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, we get to the end and her climactic song, uh, Home, uh, you know, she talks about coming back. There's no place like home and all the paths, you know, lead, lead her back there to her mother's doorstep and the home in Glasgow. And um, yeah. I love the way that, that the movie was, the movie was bookended with that <laughs> idea, idea that, you know, she was, she was able to come to see with some clarity. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciated it too, Raul. I thought, I thought this film, and again, I haven't watched a lot of these kinds of films for obvious reasons. <laughs> Um, my heart can only take so much, but what I, I, I do know, so I do, I knew other films that are out there that sort of have that musical journey kind of, you know, plot line. And I feel like this one's a little bit unique. Um, it seems to me that some others have, they tend to revolve just around like, you know, maybe like a love relationship or someone trying to make it. And there's a love relationship that dist- like gets blown up or something. Um, I'm thinking of like once oh, yeah. and I'm thinking of like, um, uh, you know, star is born. born yeah. uh, or there's like, you know, they make it and it's just like this amazing thing. And, you know, but it, it usually is revolving around addictions or which are certainly real issues. Um, but I really appreciate the fact that they focused on like a single mother who is trying to find her who really wants to be this thing. And especially for someone like her, because she's not in Nashville doing this, she's in Glasgow doing this, um, um, trying to find her voice 
and and reach this dream, but also having the realities of being both a single mom and, you know, having two children and being so young um, and just watching that kind of like, I th- I felt like it was a lot more realistic in some of the things that happened, some of the beats that happened in the film. They were a lot more um, like, oh yeah, no, it's actually really tough. And there's a lot of people that try to pursue a dream like this or in art in general, um, some kind of creative work. And, you know, what what, the, what is the reality of how that actually looks, you know, how that plays out in the day to day and pursuing these things. So. Yeah. And even getting some of the little notes right around, um, uh, the ideas of patronage and what it meant for Susanna as someone in a wealthy class to support up and coming artists. And when I was working with the freight and salvage there in Berkeley, uh, you know, we'd put on, uh, you know, fundraising concerts that would be for, you know, in beautiful homes and backyards, not dissimilar, and, you know, give a chance for a young artist to come be heard by the wealthy of the Ber- North Berkeley and the Berkeley Hills and um, to, to play and to perform and, just seeing, just seeing the way that that works, and sometimes the the tensions there, uh, the the uneasiness. But um, yeah, it felt like it felt like this was more more dialed in to some of the realities that are that are there. Yeah. Do you think Susanna is a little bit of a tragic figure? Because unlike Rose, she doesn't. All she has is a nostalgia for a past where she was more wild, where she had more fun. Um, and she doesn't have that kind of driving artistic force that would allow her to kind of channel and make meaning of the, the circumstances of her life. Um, so I, I mean, she's a, she's such an interesting character and she really appealed to me while watching the movie, um, because I think all of us try to do good for other people and yet we bring our messy selves into that attempt to do good <laughs> and it does not always work out. And part of the messiness of ourselves is that we impose on other people our own yearnings and sense of loss um, and somehow expect them to make it better for us. Yeah, I absolutely think she's a tragic figure. I also really like the juxtaposition between her and her husband because her husband clearly... Um, I mean, we, we, we get a limited window into him, but the film definitely depicts him as someone who's just very focused on, like, there's this perfect world he's living in that's very materialistic and and that she's living into that. She's living into that, but she's got this deeper yearning. Um, and I think it's really interesting that the husband assumed that if she knew the truth, she would, of course, reject Rose. Um, but that's actually not how it turns out. She, she shows back up and is still supportive and is still moved and still sees someone that is sort of igniting something in her. And I thought that was also really interesting. Like, um, you, you could sort of see, um, the tension between maybe what's actually going on in her life. That's having to keep up with this, um, you know, I mean, which you see a little bit in the beginning, I mean, just this gigantic house with so much stuff in it. And, and like, that's her whole world is sort of negotiating that on a daily basis, you know, and, and is it really bringing her happiness? Or is it just something she's doing? Because that's what she has to do. But like, yeah, like what you were saying, Carl, she's sort of longing for, I mean, she, she literally, she has this memory of, of the time where her and her husband were living in this little flat. And 
they had the best parties and they had nothing. And that's what she longs for, not not all the stuff that she has. So I thought that was a really, I thought those two characters were really important too, yeah. Well, what's interesting about her husband is he too was working class, Glaswegian, working class, went down to London for school, you know, had the um, the chance to improve his life in a, uh, in a material way. And in a way, he's kind of like a shadow figure for Rose because he actually got what he wanted. You know, he got that life of stability and wealth. And he's not a creative type, so he wasn't looking for that. But he had a dream and and succeeded in that dream. Um, And again, if we contrast him to Rose's mom, who has worked at the same bakery her entire life, setting out the same thing day after day. And it's really a pretty depressing looking bakery. If a member of hers, you know, um, you know, she's just kind of settled. Uh, and he has succeeded in, in certain ways, but the ways he's succeeded that means so much to him are actually not very helpful to his wife. And that's, that too is part of the, the, sadness of that relationship and i don't think he's there at the end at the concert like i don't think he is willing to participate yeah yeah i think it's purposeful that he's not shown (laughs) it would have been weird we would have been like why is he here Uh (laughs) anything else uh in particular that feel like is good to get out that one either of you wanted to mention any whether it be uh connections with either the the film or the text just with with advent specifically or just anything else from the movie that you'd noted along the way well i do want to talk about her children for a a moment because you can see on their faces a kind of wary sense of betrayal like they don't know what's going to be coming from her at any given moment and that's because she doesn't know herself um but there is, I mean, I think in contrast to your story, Kim, right, there's a way in which when we when we can pursue our dreams and be authentic to them, uh, we can be stable within the lives of the people we love because we have, yeah. we're not always fighting against a, a sense of fate gone wrong or a sense of loss that we haven't gotten what we really, really wanted. Um, so again, it's that, that razor-thin, you know, set of choices between loving the people around you and loving your dreams and figuring out how to do both at once. But one of the things to the movie's credit, I think, is that these children in their own way, even though they say very little, even though it's a lot of like very wary glances at her, they feel fully realized. Like it is not hard to understand what they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. I think her children... Um, the daughter, especially, boy, what a face! She just had the I just, those big eyes um, that she had to uh, look up at you. <laughs> and, and she doesn't smile the whole time, and when she finally smiles, you're like, ugh, just like stabbing me in the heart. Um, just so precious. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that tension is 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 really important, and I again, it was another reason why I appreciated that reality. I didn't have. Griffin at 15, but I was 20, I had just turned 25 when I gave birth to Griff. Um, so I was, I was young and especially in context of like, I think people are having children when they're a bit older 
um, now. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, um, you know, and I, I had Dan and my mom were, and his parents were able to help out a lot, but I still just also wrestled with a lot of mom guilt, like a lot of mom guilt on the road and constantly wrestling with, you know, am I doing, like I was saying earlier, am I doing the right thing by pursuing this thing? I can't stop <laughs> in my heart, but you know, um, am I doing the right thing as a mom to do knowing what I was, you know, so I just really appreciated that and the, the kids and, and, um, but yeah. And then also just getting to see that trust rebuilt, um, I thought that was really great too. And her really owning, there was a moment where she really owns the fact that she's a mom and she's their mom, you know, and you, you feel that in the film, that ownership of her responsibility, but that love, cause I, it's almost like, I feel like up to that point, you're not quite sure if she even loves them, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, she really gets beautiful. out of prison and she immediately goes to her um, kind of quasi boyfriend yeah. drinking buddy. She doesn't rush home to her children. Right. So she's, still battling against the idea that she even has children at all. Yeah. Um, it's hard to love people who you don't want to admit the existence of. So. Yeah. When she, for so much of the movie, they can serve for her. I mean, especially in um, the negation of them and her relationship with Susanna, but like the, they serve as an impediment in a lot of yeah. ways in her mind and how she views and sees them and, and I think also because of how the economics of her life are playing out too, <laughs> that, that that certainly plays, plays a big role there. But I, I like that the small step that she takes as well, because again, she can't, I don't think she can verbalize or uh, make the emotional connection yet and bring it into words. But that, that small step of cleaning the home, that sometimes that physical action that, okay, I can, I can start here. <laughs> I can do this act of love that maybe, maybe I can't express it from the heart yet, but, but I can move my hands and my feet and I can, I can, I can offer something. Um, yeah. And sometimes as our heart is warming up, it feels like those physical actions and that, that embodied stuff can matter and help, help us on the way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that's a very funny you say that because Every time I would get home from a tour, especially in my the years of high, like I was touring all the time, the first thing I do is come home and start cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a joke sometimes. Whenever I'm, if Griffin will say like, "Why, why are you cleaning? Are you like stressed out?" And I'd be like, "Yes, I'm stressed because I'm trying to like switch gears," and I would just start cleaning everything. <laughs> oh. The only other thing that I had reflected on, and it's a little bit of a stretch, but it's sticking with me. So I'll at least share it. And then Carl, you can decide just to ax it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just listening to listening to the soundtrack uh, over this last week, uh, and especially that last song, uh, mm. I was listening to an interview with Mary Steenberg and who wrote the, the final song, uh, the mm. actress. Uh, she had a sur uh, surgery about a decade ago on her arm and some nerves, and she woke up and she could no longer hear or think anything except for musically. And it was for two months that she had this condition where she could only hear and process musically. And so she 
went and lived with a friend who was a musician and just wrote like hundreds of songs and started to learn how to play music and kind of followed this journey. Um, so she, as she, she builds a skill set and then eventually the script comes across her desk some years later. And so she puts herself into the shoes of the character and writes, writes this closing song. Um, and in, in talking about that song, she was talking a lot about the, uh, those ideas that I mentioned a little bit earlier of, you know, home not being second best, not something that we settle for. Um, what does it mean to pay deep attention to like where we are and see the beauty that's right around us and all the stories that are to be told like right here. Uh, and I've been thinking a little about, bit about how much um, Bezos and Musk and Branson have been in the news lately. Um, mm. juxtaposed, uh, juxtaposed against all the conversations this last two weeks about the climate and the future of our earth and just what it's meant to have um, very noisy men in our world right now talking a lot about getting up and away and escaping this place and thinking about somewhere new or somewhere else um, and if there isn't an advent message for us right now of what it means to like just pay deep attention to the home that we have <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to this place that we're grounded to this place that offers beauty, like everything we need for the life that we live for the songs that we're called to sing and to write. Um, and just to uh, be, be thoughtful about that in this time where it can be easy to start to think about escape or getting up and up and away. Um, that, that there's some truth to this idea of there's no, no place like home <laughs> and Christ is coming. And what are we doing? Uh, like those who would go out to welcome the King to prepare the way to make straight the paths for, for this earth, for our cities, um, for our neighborhoods that we live in to be presented as an offering as Christ comes. Um, so that, that's been a little bit of just where after spending some time in this movie, I've been landing in a space a little bit outside of the film context itself. I love that. I love that. Yeah, me too. Well, so Advent is a is a wilderness that is rooted in home. <laughs> is how we are starting this, uh, or what we've been discussing. That's, I think, a very important aspect of Advent, right? Unlike Lent, where Jesus is sent out into the wilderness, here in Advent, everything is rooted in a reality of of the the known, really. So, Kim, one of the questions we've been asking at the end of uh, each of our podcasts is, would you bring this film with you into the wilderness? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. This, out of all of the, and I again, I have seen some music journey films. Um, this one's a good reminder of what matters and how important it is to pursue something that, you know, we, we, we have, we must pursue um, for our own salvation, just something I definitely took away from this. Um, mm -hmm. But also to realize that, you know, paying attention to what's around us, what's in our backyard, what's, what our daily life holds for us, our family, our relationships, um, but those are the rich 
sources of the thing we actually want. And for her in this film, what she needs to talk about, um, they're right there. That's, that's what she needs to write from, you know. So I, I would. I think this would be a good wilderness film for me. How about you, Judd? Would you bring it into the wilderness? My first time seeing this movie was on an airplane back or from Columbus when I was visiting um, while living in seminary out in Berkeley. And I was flying back to Berkeley from Columbus. So flying from the home that I had had that I had left uh, to a place that had very much become home with rain and the birth of my son, Lewin, but knowing that also wasn't going to be home for long. <laughs> Uh, and being in that liminal space, and as often as the case in airplane, I started crying pretty pretty hard a couple times in this movie. So it definitely tapped into mm-hmm. tapped into something there. And um, as well as I just think it's, I would take it with me because it is a. Uh, I, I love Jesse Buckley's performance. Yeah, she's great. I love the selection of songs that they both chose and they wrote and. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a rousing feel good, like sentimental film in a way that I don't normally go for. So <laughs> I think it would be a good thing to have in my collection of wilderness movies. Cause my other ones might be a little darker. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I would, I, I like, I love the movie without a doubt, but usually you you know, when I take something in the wilderness, I want to spend a lot of time wrestling with it and wrestling with its meanings. And I didn't find I really had to wrestle with this film at all that I, you know, I got it. <laughs> I got it pretty much right away, or at least I think I did. Um, and so uh, I would I would definitely rewatch it at different times. But I might, if I only had one to pick from this season, uh, this probably wouldn't be it because it's not something that makes me really wrestle it's not something that makes me wrestle and wrestle hard with um, all sorts of things. Yeah, well, I want to thank uh, everyone for joining us for the second week of Advent of Films of the Wilderness and our discussion of Wild Rose. Kim, a special thanks to you. Uh, that was excellent. Brought, brought so much to the conversation. It was really, really wonderful. Uh, and we'll look forward to being back together next week for week three uh, as we watch and discuss the film Happiest Season.